What's going on, everybody? Brennan Schaefer back here with another episode of B-Shafe Daily. Excited to have you with me here on a Wednesday as the Cardinals this evening will take on the Cincinnati Reds for the third game in the series. And St. Louis will be going for the sweep when they do so tonight at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati as the Cardinals have taken care of business since we last spoke with one another as they take down the Reds on Monday 7-5 and then on Tuesday yesterday just an absolute shellacking as they chase Sonny Gray from the game in the first inning and defeat Cincinnati 16-2. Another incredible, mind-boggling, doesn't-make-any-sense performance from Brad Miller as he compiles seven runs batted in, which I believe was a, I saw was a record for a Cardinals-designated hitter. I believe I saw Derek Gould tweet that out. Four for six in the game. Yesterday was Brad Miller, scored three runs. On the game on Monday, Paul DeYoung, my guy for this season before all the coronavirus stuff happened and and he got a positive test and was taken out of probably the MVP consideration, as were potentially all the Cardinals, given that we don't know how many games they're going to be able to play. They've got too many seven-inning games to compile as many at-bats to rack up RBIs and home runs as a lot of players on the other teams, but Paul DeYoung had a grand slam on Monday. That was basically uh, what paced the Cardinals to the win 7-5. St. Louis almost gave things up in the ninth, but Giovanni Gallegos closing the door in that game on Monday. And so definitely since the last time we spoke, things are looking up. The tide has turned a little bit for St. Louis as they've been able to string a couple of wins together. And then tonight they'll have the opportunity to sweep the Reds before then heading on over to Chicago for yet another five-game series against the Cubs. That is going to be critical because if you take a look at the standings as of right now, the Cardinals, especially with a win on Wednesday, if they can get that done against the Reds, are going to be in a position to to strike at the Cubs when they head to Chicago over the long weekend at Wrigley Field. Cubs entered the day 21-14. and 14. The Cardinals are 14-13. and 13. Again, lots of extra games they still have to catch up on, and it remains to be seen how many of those games will get played. I believe most of them are scheduled as of now, but uh, the games against the Tigers, probably not. So I think the Cardinals' schedule is at about 58, but more doubleheaders to make their way toward a full slate compared to the rest of the league at 60. But the Cardinals right now just three games back, and you know by percentage points, they're a little bit above 500. And so if you're, you're three games back of the Cubs going into – the weekend, which if things hold serve as they are now, that's what will be the case. And you're able to win even three out of those five. Just take the take the long extended series and come out of there with, with three wins. Suddenly you're two games back. And I mean, anything can happen when you get that close, especially considering where the Cardinals are in the loss column. As of right now, they've lost fewer games than the Cubs. So when they whenever they get an extra game that they've got to play, they, they kind of control their own destiny in that situation to be able to to put the pressure on Chicago, not lose those extra games, and be able to continue to gain ground where they stand. Cubs are seven games above 500. they They've certainly had the better season. The Cardinals, I think we've got to be impressed with the way they've been able to bounce back offensively the last couple of days. Uh, certainly they're in the ballpark to do it right now in Cincinnati. That, that place is a band box, as we well know. Uh, but the pitching has been able to hold on as well in order to keep them in those games. Starting pitching has been very good for St. Louis in particular. As you got a very sturdy performance from Dakota Hudson on Monday. Seven innings, gave up just one run that was earned. He gave up two runs in total, 
but allowed only four hits and struck out seven, didn't walk a man. That's such a key for Dakota Hudson if he's going to continue to find success because he led the league in walks allowed last season, and he's starting to put it together. You look at his numbers for the, the campaign on 2020, I know the sample size is not huge, but his numbers are, are looking like they're in a great spot right now in the opportunities that he's had. No, he gave up that unearned run, but you look at his earned run average, 2.77 right now for Dakota Hudson. And it, it seems like he's always somebody that is given, you know, a lot of, you know, airspace. And, and there's a lot said about him with regard to can he, you know, is, is he anything more than a, a back end of a rotation guy? Or is he should he be a bullpen guy instead of being in the Cardinals starting rotation? You look at his numbers, man. The numbers right now are hard to argue with. 3.35 ERA a year ago, 2.77 ERA early this season. That's across five starts, 26 total innings pitched for Dakota Hudson. Has given up 17 hits in those innings and seven walks. So that's a a, a whip, walks plus hits per innings pitched, below one, which is exceptional. It's it's very good. Even the fielding independent pitching, which which did not like him very much in 2019, 4.93 was his fifth that year. It's even pretty acceptable, pretty solid at 3.80 this season. And you know that Dakota Hudson is always going to be a candidate for having a lower ERA than he does fielding independent pitching, which is a statistic that tries to, you know, it, it rewards strikeouts certainly. It it punishes you for walks, which is a big reason that he struggled in that statistical category last year. But it basically tries to take defense out of the equation And so if you're a guy that benefits from exceptional defense as Dakota Hudson with the Cardinals in the last two years has and and more than likely will continue to do, then more than likely your ERA is going to be lower than what they would say your performance has been indicative of independent of of your defense, of your fielding. And so ground ball pitcher like Hudson, by and large, you've got maybe the best infield defense in baseball with Gold Glover, Colton Wong, former Gold Glover, and still plays like a Gold Glover in Paul Goldschmidt. Paul DeYoung does not get enough credit for what he does defensively, and people talk about it, but I I just feel like it's one of those things that we can keep hammering home. Made another great play yesterday. You know, Paul DeYoung does an exceptional job at shortstop and was a Gold Glove finalist last season. In third base, whether you've got Edmund over there or Carpenter over there, Brad Miller over there, um, you know, there are varying degrees of, of what's ideal for that. Right now, I know Edmonds playing more outfield, and so that probably gives your infield defense a little bit lesser on the left side there at third base, uh, whether it's Carpenter or, or Brad Miller. But all in all, you've got a pretty good defense behind you. Even when the ball does get in the air, the outfield defense with Bader or Carlson or O'Neill or whoever's out there, Fowler's done fine in right field. We've talked about it before. He's got, he's got the right guys behind him to, to be able to pitch the way he pitches. And so I, I don't know when the time comes. I don't know if the statistical-minded folks, which I'd, I'd like to consider myself statistically-minded, but I, I definitely don't think um, I use it as an end-all, be-all in, in some of the statistics that, uh, you know, sabermetrics and things like that. I like to try to put it into context, and I'm not only just going to look at those things. I think it's fair to mention that, well, even if the sabermetrics don't love the guy, consider you know his style of pitching and the fact that the defense behind him is very well suited to what he's trying to accomplish on the mound. 
and he's starting to strike out some more batters as well. 23 strikeouts in 26 innings. Uh, that's definitely a rate that's better than what he had a year ago when he struck out 136 in 174 and two-thirds innings. And so if he can start to miss some more bats too, you know, and again, 25 years old, right? We've talked about this with regard to Jack Flaherty and kind of the the progression that he was able to have. You know, he wasn't a superstar right when he came up. Hudson actually turns 26 uh, a couple weeks from now, September 15th, just a couple months younger than me. But he's still a young guy with regard to learning the ropes as a major league pitcher. You see guys make those second-year leaps and those third-year leaps. In 2018, Dakota Hudson just got his feet wet as a relief pitcher coming up in the middle of the season, you know, and did a great job out of the bullpen, which I think is what a lot of people think back to when they say, you know, they'd like to see him in a relief role maybe because they're not sure he holds up as a starter if, if the league starts to figure him out. Well, last year he got a full slate of starts, and the numbers bore out that he had a very fine season. This year it's going to be a little bit difficult to to figure, and I think people are going to continue to doubt him regardless. Because, and he said this before too. He said, you know, those numbers are never going to like me. I know it. I recognize it, and he'll say it with, you know, kind of a, a chuckle because he gets it. He, he knows that. As a sinker baller, as you know, a guy who hasn't historically had a huge strikeout rate, he's just not going to to fare very well in some of those those categories. But he says he's going to go out there and compete. It's not you know it's not something he thinks about. He's just trying to go help the team win games. And if he continues to pitch like he's pitched last year and has continued to pitch early on in this season, uh, he's going to be able to do that. Uh, now, whatever his numbers are at the end of this campaign, I think people are going to say, well, it was a you know a fake season, a short season. Let's see what he can do next year. And I imagine Dakota Hudson is going to go out and, and do pretty similar to what, you know, he's a guy who you could say he probably is what he is, but at the same time, there's definitely room for improvement for a guy his age. I, I'm not saying he's Jack Flaherty, but we, we saw the kind of leap Jack Flaherty was able to make after getting, you know, year and a half under his belt, really two full seasons you know, because he has his gets his feet wet one year, has kind of a full slate in the rotation the next, and then it wasn't until the middle of that third season, I believe, that he really took off and became the guy that we all consider him to be today. So I would say kudos to Dakota Hudson. Um, you know, people are going to doubt him. That's fine. He's going to continue to go out and do what he does, and he did that on Monday as the Cardinals were able to get a win over the Reds in Game 1. Kwon Young Kim, another guy who's going to continue doing what he does, and he did that yesterday against the Reds. Another five shutout innings. Um, I looked before the game, and the, the Reds were kind of heavily favored to beat the Cardinals in that game, and I thought, that doesn't make sense. Kwon Young Kim shut those guys down already this season, and so maybe maybe the odds makers were thinking, you know, a trip to Great American Ballpark, some of those, and, I, and I've mentioned this on Twitter, the long fly balls that, Kwon Young Kim had been allowing in his two previous outings were just all dying at the track. They were all getting caught, sometimes up against the wall, as Tyler O'Neill had a couple of good catches. Dexter Fowler had one in the, the previous outing for Kim that he went back on the ball. And so, you know, some of that was happening where I thought, well, maybe they just think some of those flyouts are going to turn into home runs. So I tweeted before the game, Cardinals are either going to win or some of those flyouts are going to turn into home runs and it's going to be kind of a, you know, a, a high-scoring game that they're going to have to, you know, get get some runs to be able to win it. Well, it turns out they got 16 runs. That wasn't a problem. But also, Kwon Young Kim did what he does and was able to get through five more scoreless innings as the Cardinals defeated the Reds 
16 to 2. Wanted to talk about uh, Paul Goldsmith and what he's been doing because another guy who I talk about DeYoung and his defense being underrated, we talk about and we mention a lot Paul Goldsmith being underrated in a lot of ways because even if everybody knows that he's one of the premier first basemen in not only the National League but the game, everybody knows that. Like He's been around, we get it, but we just kind of get lulled to sleep a little bit by the the good season he had last year instead of the superhuman season that he's, you know, capable of and that he's pretty much had every year prior to 2019 before he joined the Cardinals. Well, this year he's kind of having that superhuman season as he went, got on base five times in the game on Monday. And then yesterday got on base. His first two trips to the plate ended up getting on base three times in total and scoring three runs. Paul Goldsmith's numbers. I'm going to read some of the numbers of the the uh, outstanding offensive performers for the Cardinals this season in in sample sizes that are smaller than we would have thought they'd have been now that we're entering into September. But just going to read to you first. I'll go Paul Goldsmith and his you know just what he's compiled this season. Just a remarkable what he's been able to do without even really having a ton of power. He's just he's just one of the best hitters that you've ever seen. I mean he's just that good. Here's here's Paul Goldsmith this year. Again, this is a small sample size of just 111 plate appearances for Goldsmith so far this season. But in that sample size, he's batting 353 with a league-leading 495 on-base percentage. 495. His OBP is darn near 500. Getting on base half the time he steps to the plate. That's exceptional. And then the slugging percentage is 541. You look at slugging percentages from prior in his career... You know, 551, 542, 570, 489, 563, 533. Those were the the last six or so years I just rattled off before he got to St. Louis. Last year it was 476, which was a number lower than all of those, his lowest number since his rookie season. But now 541, that doesn't stand out from all the other numbers, but it's just the batting eye is where it needs to be. The plate discipline is the best it's ever been for Paul Goldsmith as of right now. He's just got only three home runs in those 111 plate appearances. And so that's what I said where the, you know, the power is not anything insane. But if you if you bore that out to a full season, you know, considering how many plate appearances he had, I'll start in 2015. He went 695, 705, 665, 690, 682. So I feel comfortable multiplying that by six to put him around 660, 670 plate appearances in a, in a typical 162-game season, that would only be 18 home runs for Paul Goldschmidt. And as far as the runs batted in, it would only be about 65 or 70 runs batted in. But, it, you know, those are statistics, especially RBIs. You're reliant upon the people in front of you. And we know that Colton Wong has been struggling a little bit to get on base, at, you know, not near the clip that he was last year. And Tommy Edmond, when he had been batting up in that lineup, uh, hasn't quite had the season that offensively that he had a year ago. And so those are the guys right before Goldsmith that would potentially be providing him with the RBI opportunities, and it just hasn't really happened. But you can't argue with a 495 on base percentage. I mean, that's ridiculous. OPS plus of 185 would be a career high for Goldsmith if he's able to continue that through the rest of the year. 20 runs scored, you multiply that by 6. That's 120 right there. So, you know, he's kind of serving as more of a table setter in the middle of the lineup. 
and you're not going to complain about that when you're putting up when you're seeing him put the numbers up that he is. Sure, you'd like more power, but if he's able to be locked in and not selling out for the home run ball and performing the way that he is, that's perfectly fine. It's more than perfectly fine. It's it it's mind blowing what Goldschmidt's been able to do. And you know, we talk about his defense; it's also phenomenal. Doesn't really get enough credit for the season he's having, and he probably won't because, like I mentioned earlier, you're not going to find Cardinals probably very high up the list of MVP candidates unless they start hitting some home runs and and doing some crazy things because you've got guys like Fernando Tatis has 13 home runs on the season. Those are the numbers that are going to probably stand out, and then people will say, well, what about the OPS? What about the slugging percentage? Paul Goldsmith has all those things. He's just not going to have the counting stats um, for a variety of reasons, but if he's setting the table in the middle of the lineup, people talk about can Brad Miller, you know, can the Cardinals really win with Brad Miller as your cleanup man? Um, it, you know, it doesn't look great on paper, but it sure as hell does look good on the field because this guy's been outstanding. He has had more power than Paul Goldschmidt. In only 80 plate appearances, which is 31 fewer, he's got more home runs now with four, and the RBIs have been there because guys like Goldschmidt are getting on for him. 18 runs batted in for Brad Miller in 80 plate appearances. That is unheard of. He's he's done a phenomenal job, batting 317 with a 450 on base and a 619 slug for a 1069 OPS. You're riding that hot hand as long as it's gonna as long as it's gonna continue to feed you because uh, Brad Miller's been great. Had a 941 OPS and kind of a limited sample last year because or, or checking that again. That was his his performance over the end of the season with Philadelphia. Overall, because he did start and have a few games that he played with Cleveland, overall he had a 9, or a, pardon me, an 894. 894 was the OPS for Brad Miller in uh, about double the amount of games that he's played so far this year. 170 played appearances last year compared to 80 this year. But 894, that OPS would have been one of the best on the Cardinals, if not the best. I believe it would have been high on the team. Wouldn't have qualified, obviously, at just 170 plate appearances, but you're getting what I'm saying Brad Miller had a nice offensive season last year after several years in a row of not having very good numbers at the plate, but those were all kind of incomplete seasons. He was dealing with some multiple serious injuries at the time, kept trying to play through the, through some things, and then finally got everything taken care of. And you saw what he was able to do last year. So did the Cardinals, and they're like, well, why not? Let's give him a shot, a couple million bucks. So like, I think it had to be one of those situations where how is this guy not signed? When they, when they got to spring training in February, and they're like, all right, we'll pick this guy up right at the beginning of camp. And he's he's having a phenomenal breakout season at age 30 for the Cardinals. I shouldn't even say breakout season. This is a guy who hit 30 homers at one point in his career, but that was all the way back in 2016 for the Tampa Bay Rays. And even that year, his OPS was only 786 compared to the 894 of last year and the 1069 of right now. But 30 home runs in a season is nothing to sneeze at. And so he was kind of having that breakout, that coming out party at age 26. But then the injuries just overtook him, and, and he kind of lost that ability from 2017, 2018. wasn't until he got healthy again last year that he was able to showcase what he can do. By then, I guess the league had kind of forgotten about him, and the Cardinals said, well, we'll we will gladly scoop him up on a low-risk acquisition. And he's certainly you know allowing that to pay dividends right now with the way he's performing at the plate. And so... You hope that can continue. Uh, you've seen good things from Paul DeYoung as well offensively. Mentioned his grand slam. And so if you've got Goldie, Miller, DeYoung as the middle of your, your lineup right now, you want to see the top continue to, to get going. You want to see guys that are typically at the bottom like Bader get going. 
It would be great to get Carlson going on a more regular basis. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Cardinals, what they've showed the last couple of days, you don't have to score 23 runs in two games. You don't have to do that. But just being able to consistently go out there and and bully the opposition, bully the other starting pitcher, and try to try to enforce your will early, that's going to make life really, really difficult on them, especially in a three-game series when now you're to the third game and they had to pull their pitcher in the game yesterday in the first inning. Sonny Gray threw like 38 pitches, didn't get the third out in the inning, and that was it. And, you know, they had to use up a lot of arms out of their bullpen. And so now you go into a game three situation where you, you, you've got to be the aggressors and try to go out there and get the sweep and, and turn the Reds into a team that, that really shouldn't be thinking about postseason. Anybody can, can, can sweep a series and get right back into the mix this season because of how many teams do make the playoffs. But if you're the Cardinals, you're in the driver's seat right now. You'd love to be able to put the pedal down in Game 3 on Wednesday. And one or two before I get into uh, looking ahead a little bit to what they've got going on Wednesday night. Wanted to give some credit to Colton Wong because, again, we score 16 runs. You've got guys up and down the order making things happen. You know, Fowler gets a, had a hit, had a couple of RBIs. Uh, Yachty had, went three for six, had a nice day. DeYoung, two for six, solid day at the plate. Um, Tommy Edmond ended up getting seven at-bats, and he had three hits. One of the few guys that, you know, stayed in for the whole game and was batting in the top of the order uh, because Colton Wong, leading off the game, got, got pinch hit for – later and, and things started to move around once that game got out of hand but I want to give Colton Wong credit obviously as I always will will do when he's doing things well he went four for four yesterday scored four runs drove in a couple so th- that's that's where you need to go OPS for the season still only 672 batting average at 256 want to continue to see all those numbers to con- continue to go up but cannot argue with the day Colton Wong had yesterday either now before we get out of here we'll look ahead a little bit to the game on Wednesday night. But before we do that, I want to mention, if you've never subscribed to the show and you want to do so because you're liking what you're hearing, you're liking the Cardinals baseball talk on a pretty regular basis as we're trying to get things fired back up with the Cardinals going here down the uh, the home stretch of the season. You know, we're, we're 26 or 27 days away from the regular season being history, being over. That's how many doubleheaders the Cardinals still have left to go because they haven't even quite gotten to the halfway point of their season having only played 27 games so far but if you want to listen to more b-shaped daily as september goes along and then we'll roll right into the off season as well subscribe at spotify at apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts you can subscribe to us there and give me a follow on the socials if you don't do that already as well it's at bshafer12 anywhere you're going to want to look twitter that's instagram facebook you get the picture Looking ahead to Wednesday night now, it's going to be Johan Oviedo taking the ball for the Cardinals. I believe this will make his third start of the season. And he's a guy that could definitely be kind of on, on the lookout for someone who holds down a rotation spot into the future. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Adam Wainwright going into next season. The way he's pitching, you would obviously love to be able to see him come back. I think it would be a mistake for the Cardinals not to bring him back. The problem they could get into is if Yadier Molina also you know, wants to come back, and the Cardinals, I'm sure, would want him back, but at what price? If you get into a kind of a negotiation there that the, the two sides disagree on their price, would, would Wainwright and Yachty go somewhere else to play? I mean, today is not the day to talk about all that, but that day is certainly coming. would love to see the Cardinals be able to take, take care of business. But my point is, Oviedo is a guy who, very young, you know, very raw, but you're seeing him be able to compete his first couple of outings in the big leagues, ERA of 3.60 after a couple of games. And so 
Uh, he's in the rotation for now because of uh, Daniel Potenstillion's struggles in his last couple of outings. Cardinals pulled the plug on him and, and sent him to Springfield for a little while to to try to work on some things. Oviedo's got a great opportunity before him if he can continue to to keep hold of a rotation spot. And like so many guys before him who you've seen kind of come up, and the assumption would be, hey, they're going to be in the bullpen for right now, but you know we, we really like you know the future he could bring as a starter, but right now we just need him in the bullpen. You know, I don't want him to turn into that guy, so I'm so glad that in an unusual way, he's basically, because of circumstances, gotten to come up and be a starter immediately because they had to use him in a couple of doubleheaders, and then that kind of had him in a position where, because he had pitched well, earned more opportunity, they had Ponce de Leon struggling, and they, they said, we're going to make the switch. And so I'm really excited to see what Oviedo can do tonight on Wednesday night. And for 2021-2022, he's definitely a guy that I think should be in consideration for a rotation spot moving forward. A lot of moving parts. This is a weird season to be able to to figure out what your rotation is, and you're just glad to have five guys that can can pitch and maybe six or seven that you need given all the doubleheaders. But Oviedo, definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on, see how he's going to be able to perform, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it tomorrow when we do another podcast. It'll be Tyler Malley on the on the mound for Cincinnati. He's 1-1 one one with a 3.91 ERA. Cardinals just got to do the same thing offensively that they did in the first two games, if they can get to, to Mally early, it's going to be really tough for Cincinnati to win this game because their bullpen certainly a little bit taxed after uh, what happened last night. So that's going to wrap up this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for joining me once again. Going to send a quick plug out. If you want to leave a message for the show that I could potentially play on a later edition of the podcast, you can do that at anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Highly recommend doing that. I've done it before where I play the the, uh, the the voice messages that we get, as you've heard on previous episodes of the show, and would love to get you involved as well. Share your thoughts, ask questions, any commentary. Would love to have you along for the ride. Appreciate you guys listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.